This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Alex Schutman, and he's the president and CEO of a company called Workfront. As CEO, he drives Workfront's overall strategy, vision, and execution, ensuring the company is a dedicated partner in helping customers transform the work experience. Schutman brings over 25 years of experience in all areas of revenue and profit generation for technology organizations with significant experience leading SaaS-based companies. Alex, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. That bio sounds like you came into to Workfront as a EIR with a with a VC led funding round, not not as its founder. Which one are you? Uh, I am not the founder. The founder is Scott Johnson, and he is still the chairman of the board. Very cool. And then, did you come in with a funding round? Were you with a VC firm? I uh, was not. No, I, I did not come in through a VC firm. I I did come, and I did not come in in a in a funding round. The you know Scott is a guy and. And awesome as the chairman of the board, and um, you know, I think he uh, he just decided that the the company had some amazing growth in front of it. And now, give us some of your background. You you referenced in the bio some other SaaS companies you've been acquainted with or led. Name a few of those. Uh, so I was at a company called Eloqua that was a marketing automation company that uh, I got to serve as the president, not as the CEO. Uh, and then come prior to coming to Workfront, I served as the president of a company called Aptio that recently went public. Uh, once again, there was a founder CEO at Aptio and, uh, and I served with him. That's uh, that's Sonny Gupta was the founder CEO at, uh, at Aptio. Two great companies. So get us up to speed on Workfront. What's the company do and what's your revenue model? Is it SaaS? Uh, the company is a SaaS company and we sell an enterprise application platform for people to manage modern work. What we see happen in companies today um, is there is a lot of complex work that requires collaboration between uh, between folks all over the organization, knowledge workers all over the organization, and people just struggle getting their work done, and they don't actually have a uh, a platform that they go to work in. So, uh, people that use Workfront when they go to work, they they go to work in Workfront. Should we think of Workfront more more like a sexy version of a Gantt chart online and and with a SaaS model, or more like a communication tool for teams like Sa- like Slack? Um, actually, the way that you should think about it is is if you think about the DNA of work, the DNA of work, any kind of knowledge work that you do, it's got three elements to it. It's got uh, the collaboration that's occurring. It's got the task itself that you're trying to work on, and then it does have the output of work, which is increasingly uh, digital content. And so most companies come at the problem from their native position. If I'm a collaboration vendor, I have collaboration and I try to staple task and content to it as an example. Workfront built the DNA of work into the product. So you come in through the through the content, you see the task and the collaboration. You come in through the task, you see the collaboration 
uh, and the content. And and it's that integration of those three things that that you would consider the DNA of work that allows us to be successful. And I want to get your thoughts more on the space where you see it going and how you got, you know, tactically actually how you got involved in the company. Uh, before we do that though, you mentioned kind of your focus on enterprise. That's usually really nicely reflected in a price point. So just give me an average. What, what would you say the average customer pays you per year or per month? Uh, the average customer uh, pays us about 40 to $45,000 a year. Um, but what we increase, what we really see is a customer starts with a department, um, and then they actually start expanding that work to many departments. So uh, most of our larger here in uh, you know ten, twelve, thirteen uh, different departments with some pretty unique use cases that uh, were not the way that we started. Do you have uh, enough of a sample cohort to know that a $50,000 ACV account will very predictably go to 60 or 70 or double to 100 in year two? Uh, what we know is that if we um, – we've actually gone through and used an, a, uh, an analytical tool, um, and we looked through about 22 different attributes – of customers uh, that we had sold to. That, that might even be like their Alexa score or the number of job openings that they have in marketing or so all these different attributes. And so what we know is if we sell to a customer that scores well in those set of attributes for us, anywhere between $30,000, $40,000, you know, within a couple of years, they're a customer that's over $100,000 for us. That's very cool. So I want to understand the process you use to get those attributes so other people listening can replicate it. How did you come up with the attributes? Uh, We actually used a uh, technology and we fed all the customers we had ever sold into. uh, We fed it into that technology and then coming out of that uh, exercise. So it was an analytical tool coming out of that exercise. It said, boy, here's the attributes that make a lot of sense uh, for you all. And then the other thing that we did um, is uh, in terms of how we approach the market um, is we we went into our customer base. We have 2,844 customers. And we said, you know, those what? are for paying, right? Paying customers. Uh, we said, forget what we think we built or sold. What did they actually do with our software? And so coming from that, we, we uh, got to a really good understanding of the five main reasons why people buy our software. So our, our go-to-market from a target perspective is um, who has scored well in the past and, and then who has those attributes and then who has one of these, one or more of these five problems that, you know, after 3,000 times, we know we solve really well. Yep. Now, before we get more of the backstory, uh, backstory here, uh, Alex, you said 2844 customers, a lot of enterprise. You mentioned a few minutes ago, kind of an ACV of around 45 grand. You guys are doing over 120 million in ARR at this point? Uh, yes. Okay, great. But can we put a cap on that and say less than 200? Yes. Very cool. All right, take us more of the backstory here. So how did you... A CEO who's launching a company is never thinking about the day that they're going to replace themselves, at least not at the beginning. And sometimes it can be contentious. Um, How did you make that transition smooth? Uh, Well, it really wasn't me making it smooth. Uh, You know, Scott and the board are are phenomenal. And Scott's a good friend of mine. And um, and the great thing about Scott, you know, the thing that you learn about founder-run company, founder-built companies is the core of the company, the company's DNA never goes far from the founder. You know, and so Scott's a guy with super high integrity, family values, customer focus, technology focus. 
And and those things are still true about the company today. And, and so I think when you look at Scott and I, part of it was that we get along really well. And, and also I get along with uh, the, you know, the major investors. And so that that made for a super, super, super smooth transition. And I'll tell you the final, the final thing that really made it, I think, a good fit for them and for me is the last interview, uh, one of the board members said, look, Alex, um, we've talked about a lot of things, but what do you really believe in? And I said, here's what I believe in. I believe that you can do the right thing and win. And so uh, what that means is that if we're ever f- faced with a choice well, we've got to, and I don't, by the wrong thing, I don't mean lie, cheat, and steal. That's, that's clear boundaries. But look, if we ever kind of got to do the wrong thing to get you all the economic outcome that you want, I'm not going to do it. And you should know that right now. And I, you know, I left the room and, and board members came in after me, uh, not running after me, but came in after they had their meeting and said, you know what? It was that, that last answer. That's what we want for this company. So I just think there's a deep DNA match between who I am and and who the company wanted uh, as the CEO. And what year was the company launched in again? The the company was launched in 1999, so it's been around for a while. And you joined in which year? I joined uh, 18 months ago. Okay, so so we'll say uh, early or mid-2016. And then uh, mid, okay, and what's team size to date? Uh, We have 849 people. Based where? Uh, Based uh, probably 300 or so in uh, Lehigh, Utah, and then we've got uh, locations uh, around the United States and then in uh, UK. And uh, we've got development operations in Poland and Armenia. So you mentioned, obviously, your customer base. Um, how, are you, how are you signing up new customers? Are there any unique tactics you're using? Or are you following a pretty practiced playbook? Uh, we, uh, we have an enterprise sales team. So we have uh, uh, you know, feet on the street sales team. And once again, the go-to-market is we know the five problems we solve really well. And so we ask our, uh, uh, our account acquisition team, go find one of these problems because we know we're going to be successful. And then uh, we surround the customer with an account management and a customer success team and help build up the customer's skills in the product. And, and that's how we end up going department to, you know, to department. So we may start with a very traditional use case for us around getting visibility into the, you know, the, the kinds of work that are happening in the company. Of 800. I was with the customer. The- sorry, go ahead. Hard go- I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and then from there, we branch out into some really unique uh, use cases. I was with one of our customers who's a retailer uh, the other day. And I just asked him, I said, what's the coolest thing you're doing right now with Workfront? He goes, Alex, you're not going to believe this. Sometimes we run a local promotion and we'll get the price wrong on the shelf. It used to be a really big work process for our associates to go uh, fix that price. Today, they walk by the shelf with their smartphone, with their work, uh, their workfront application on the smartphone. They take a picture and that kicks off an entire work process where, where somebody else goes and checks uh, on, you know, on the price point. So that's why we, we try to land with these things we know really well. And then our customers take us to all sorts of incredible incredibly fun use cases. Uh, on average, what do you sp- spend fully weighted to get one of these new customers? Uh, our customer acquisition cost is, uh, is under 18 months right now in terms of payback. That's great. And what is the, uh, have you guys, obviously you've raised capital. How much have you guys raised? Uh, we've raised about a uh, hundred million dollars. The last raise was in 2015. So I am very proud of the fact that we're a company that's raised less money than, than our your- revenue. 
I was just going to say, that's a great ratio to hit. Uh, You are very efficient at using capital, right? Yeah, and we're cash flow. You look, we're cash flow positive. We intend to stay cash flow positive. We're financially, uh, we're financially healthy, and um, I, you know, uh, I'm I'm just really excited about the company's prospects. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay. At nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule helps me so much. And by the way, Look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings. Okay, I do them back to back. Very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay, so I use the tool. It's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin. I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14 day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no. He's given us a 45 day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not going to stay up forever. So go get it now. Nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. For a company like yours, where you've got so many upsell revenue opportunities, expansion revenue, et cetera, um, lifetime value can sometimes lie to you because you put an Excel sheet, you project it and let it go out, and it says this customer is worth $10 million, which can mess up your CAC costs. How do you figure out lifetime value in a most rational way possible, the most useful way possible? Yeah, really what we look at, uh, what we've been trying to look at is um, who are all the customers that have grown to over a hundred thousand dollars over time. So, so customer in ACV in yeah ACV ARR, but but customers that are willing to spend over a hundred thousand uh, dollars with us. And what has been the path that that they've grown to a hundred thousand dollars? And and what are the kinds of things that we've been able to solve uh, for them? And so, what we're much more focused on right now, rather than the entire twenty eight hundred forty four LTV, you know, twenty eight hundred forty four customers LTV. Um, or uh, LTV ratio, what we're really focused on is uh, these larger customers that we tend to have success with. And we have success, usually, like I said, it's in a dozen or so uh, departments. What are the similarities and how can we shrink the time uh, to getting to $100,000 in those customers? That's what we're really focused on right now. It's such, you articulated that so well, Alex, and so many people miss this, but a lot of people that are trying to figure out how do I grow revenue? It's what a wonderful place to start to take your customers that have already paid you the most, reverse engineer the path they went on, and then toggle with things like, well, can we decrease the time for them to add the first 10 seats or decrease the time for them to get this utility and then put that across your entire customer base? And, and I, the other thing that we're focused on is, you know, I'm a big believer in everybody talks about the customer journey. We, we started doing that with Eloqua in 2008. At the time, I had stolen it from a book uh, called, called Moments of Truth by Jan Carlson, where he wrote about turning around SAS Airlines uh, many years ago. And so a lot of what we're focused on in this customer journey is from the customer in, right, what have been these incredible magical moments that they've had? where they've had success with Workfront. And then how do we how do we kind of replicate that? Because ultimately, you're not going to grow at a customer, especially land and expand. You're not going to grow at a customer unless you've got people inside those 
that customer that are looking at the department next to them saying, hey, have you ever seen this software before? It's super cool. So that's really what we're focused on is is, uh, how do we create uh, these really great moments of truth for the customer uh, in their onboarding journey? What last economics question here, what LTV to CAC ratio did you typically also optimize for? Do you stick to the kind of the three or have you changed something based off your knowledge and your history? No, I mean, what we really focus on is the CAC ratio, right? Because, I, you know, we're still in such a high growth mode. What do you mean, that, that, Alex, the CAC ratio? You, you know, like that, that number I gave you earlier, 18. which is, which is, you know, okay, if you look at sales and marketing expense to acquire a customer, um, you know, how many months until we, uh, until we get back that, um, until we get back that money. So that, that kind of, that's the kind of metric that I'm more focused on than anything else right now. Makes good sense. Um, I have to ask because you're in the range, right? I've had Clayton mask on. We've had many companies that are in that hundred million to $150 million ARR range. Markets are hot right now. Stock markets are looking good. If I'm a betting man, I'm going, okay, Alex's last fundraise was back in 2015. They're, 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 it's not a pig, but they certainly are putting lipstick on. Um, <laughs> they're going to go public in the next 12 months. How do you decide? How do you analyze if you need more capital to grow? And if the answer is yes to that, how do you decide whether it's proper to do it in the private markets or the public ones? Yeah, great, uh, great answer. You know, a lot of it, it, the way I think about going public is you're really just exchanging one set of owners for another set of owners. The next day you got to wake up and acquire customers and serve them and, and be a great place to work and, you know, and and all of that. So in my mind, uh, much of the decision between whether we raise private or go public is, is really gets into the conversation with the current owners. How long would y'all like to be owners? Right. And, and that's the way that, uh, that I look at it. At the end of the day, you got to build a great company, right? And when you build a great company, then you have lots of choices. You have choices with people wanting to give you money privately or people wanting to give you money publicly. So I know it sounds like a politically correct answer, but truly that's what we're focused on is just build a great company. And, um, and, and the great thing when you build a great company is you get to have both choices. You think, so do you think you'll go public in the next 18 months? Uh, you know, I really don't know if we will or not. Um, uh, we don't have to. And that's what I said. The best thing is when you don't have to. Yep. So, uh, you know, if, if we're, Optionality. If, as you stated, if we're between 120 and 200 and we've raised less money than that and we're cash flow, uh, you know, neutral and we're growing fast, um, then, uh, we get options. Options are a powerful thing. Uh, you know that, uh, let's wrap up here, yeah, Alex. Our thing is, as I've told the company, going public is fantastic. I've been able to be part of that before. It's great. You get the t-shirt, you get the cupcake, <laughs> you know, but the next day you still got to be a great company. So yeah. let's go be a great company. And then what's great is if you build a great company, when you go public, you just never disappoint because the worst thing is to go public and disappoint. Yep. Hey, look, there are the reason I asked that, I mean, there are some CEOs I've spoken to specifically in B2B SaaS or sometimes like cybersecurity or fintech financial technologies where the mere act of going public actually makes them more valuable to their customers because the customers are happy that they have a, a source of funding no matter what, and it allows them to close deals quicker. Uh, I don't know if that's the case for your industry, but I've seen that. I think that's a good statement. I think there's two great value statements. One is, you're right, it is uh, easier and quote unquote safer for some people to buy software from a 
you know, from a public company. I also think that it gives you a lot of options for how you think about um, compensating your employees, right? So I think there's some things you can do as a public company in terms of compensating your employees. So those are probably the two things that that we look at, uh, you know, is uh, maybe if we can take better care of our employees, then that's a that's a good reason for us to do it. Two churn related questions. Are you guys in the in kind of the magical net negative revenue churn at this point? Uh, well, if net negative, I mean, if you look, if you're talking about net dollar retention rate, we're well over a dollar. Yeah. What I mean, what I mean are, are, are the upsells you're getting from your current customer base more than outpace any churned revenue. Yeah. So that's what, when I say net dollar, sorry, net dollar retention rate for me, that same store sales, anything like that. Yeah. We're, 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 we're well over a dollar, which is a great place. To I haven't heard someone communicate that metric like that before. So say it again and tell me how the math works. So the way I look at it is gross, gross retention rate would be, Hey, of all the contracts coming up this quarter, all the dollars coming up, what percentage of that did you renew? And you know, what I talked to our company about is look, here's the magic, here's the magic numbers for me. When I talk to the company at our size, if we can continue, if we can grow north of 30%, um, if we can have a gross renewal rate that's 90% or greater, and we can have a net renewal rate, so that's to your point, that's okay. What did you churn out plus what did you sell to your base? So if we can have a net uh, renewal rate of $1.20, right, and we can have a CAC of 18 months or less, we are in real thin air. And I'm just pleased to tell you that we're doing well. Yep. It, those numbers you just gave, you're measuring those quarterly or annually typically? Quarterly. quarterly. Good yep. stuff. All right, Alex, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? I have two. Uh, it, one is if I'm focused on what am I doing or one is if I'm focusing on who am I. In terms of am I doing the right things, I really like Roger Connors' How Did That Happen? It's a really great book just about how do you get stuff done through lots of people. Um, and then if I'm kind of focused on who am I? I really like The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey Jr. It's a great book that really makes the, the concept of trust, it breaks it down into some practical uh, steps that you can take. Yep. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying currently? Uh, there's one I like a lot, and he's, it's a weird one for you. Uh, it's Father Greg Boyle, who built Homeboy Industries. He wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart. And I, follow, I like him because... He, you know, our, our company is about making work matter. And his whole story is about how he created uh, a, a, a company in the middle of uh, the, the gang areas of L.A. and just made work matter for people. And so he's a guy that I like studying. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool for business? Well, the ones I have most op- open often are Delta and Marriott. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, for business... Well, like I would say the one I like personally is Strava. You know, this is online tool that makes me ride my bike uh, further Uh, for business. Like, I, you know, we use Slack internally. I'm a big fan of Slack. It's uh, we've just integrated our product in a in a super cool way to uh, uh, to Slack. But I'm a fan of that. Number four. How many hours of sleep to get every night? Five, five. And uh, what's your current situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Uh, I am married to this, a woman I've been with for 32 years. Wow. And we've never had a fight. That's a, That's good. LTV. Won. <laughs> 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 we, got, we got four kids, 21, 16, 
13 and 11. Yeah, get your hands full. And how old are you, Alex? Uh, I am uh, 52. 52. Last question. Take us back 32 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old yeah. self knew? Uh, man, you know what I tell my 20-year-old self is um, be versus do. You know, I think that we get so focused on what am, what am I getting done? Uh, uh, what did I do? What did I accomplish? And at the end of the day, what I think is more important is who am I and who am I becoming? And I think that, you know, in those rare moments when I can focus on who am I and, and who am I becoming, I end up uh, being a better leader and, and being a better you know father and a husband and, and actually getting more stuff done. So I think 20-year-old self, I'd say, dude. Do don't do being, <laughs> doing. There you guys have it from Alex. His friend founded a Workfront back in 1999. Alex was uh, cutting his teeth on big SaaS companies, uh, Aptio, Eloqua, going public, etc. Joined Workfront about 18 months ago. We'll say mid 2016. Their team is now 849 people. Again, focused on making work matter. They raised 100 million dollars. More impressive than that, they've passed 120 million dollars in ARR with over 2,800, specifically 22,844 enterprise customers paying on average 45 grand per year economic super healthy with an 18th month payback period uh, on that spent money again uh, sitting on a rocket ship alex thank you for taking us to the top nathan thank you so much it was uh, great fun